0: I'm Sandra Feist, and I am a candidate for the Minnesota House of Representatives in District 41B, which includes New Brighton, St. Anthony, Columbia Heights, and Hilltop. I launched this podcast in order to have conversations with the leaders and members of our community who I respect and wish to learn from. Through these interviews, I hope to enrich my own understanding of the role of a legislator, and also to hear from my friends and neighbors about their goals and priorities for our district and state. I also will share my own perspective and background that I hope to bring to the legislature in 2021. Thanks for listening. Great. So, my conversation today on my podcast was an interview with Aaron Priest. Uh, who is a candidate for state representative in Lakeville. Uh, We had a really great conversation um, about how moms get stuff done, about how moms have empathy and expertise and just kind of focusing on how to support our future generation of Minnesotans. And, um, And it was just a really fun conversation that I think you'll enjoy. Erin is an educator. Uh, She's a teacher at an elementary school in Lakeville, and she has two children uh, who are in the Lakeville Public Schools. Uh, Her kids are actually eight and 10, the same age as my kids. Uh, She is a mother who believes in equitable funding of our public schools, so that no matter what zip code you live in in the state of Minnesota, uh, you have the same opportunity to achieve. Erin is also an activist, Uh, She has had an amazing experience as a statewide leader with Moms Demand Action, and we had a really nice conversation about kind of her priorities and her perspectives, uh, not just as a leader with Moms Demand Action, but also just as a teacher and a parent. So enjoy this conversation. I know I did. uh, And thanks so much for tuning in. Great. So thank you so much, uh, Erin Priest, for joining me today. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Thanks for having me. So great. So let's jump into it. So what are the issues that your constituents are most focused on these days?
1: Right now, the number one thing that people always bring up is um, different aspects of how life has changed since COVID has happened. Um, In the last six months, all of our lives have really been turned upside down. Um, And it started in March when people were just very concerned about the day-to-day, you know, getting out and getting groceries. um, I'm a teacher in the district that I'm running in, so a lot of people were asking me tech questions about um, getting their kids logged into the apps so they could learn at home. Um, And now it's really evolved to what are the long-term plans looking like and and how are we going to move forward to make sure that um, kids can still be educated, that we can still all go to work as adults, and how do we stay connected to each other um, during this time, and and also just how it's affecting businesses in Lakeville. Um, We have a lot of great small businesses here and how we're gonna keep people employed and and just Mm -hmm. make it easier to return back to normal life as soon as we can.
0: Yeah, yeah, obviously we're having very similar conversations here in District 41B. Um, Yeah, you know, as a parent, uh, I definitely am struggling to figure out how to support my kids education. And as a business owner, I'm also struggling just to understand, you know, how do we how long are we going to be working remotely, how to manage people remotely? um, What are the long term implications on just business? Uh, obviously, as an immigration lawyer, I have a lot of concerns at the federal level on uh, how that will impact uh, immigrants and immigration law. But, but yeah, definitely, COVID is the number one topic of conversation.
1: Mm-hmm. It has such a, a broad impact on our lives that um, I think it's made us all really reexamine what's important too, and um, you know, hopefully, look at how we can move forward together and and bring Minnesotans mm-hmm. together to do our best and help each other through this time, because it is really difficult.
0: Yeah, I I think a lot about that saying the whole, it takes a village,
1: and Mm -hmm. trying to find
0: ways to be there for my community. And I do feel like running for office is particularly daunting, like we came into the legislative session with this huge surplus, now we have this huge deficit, and there are no easy answers to any of these questions but it feels good to be in a position where we're looking for ways to do something about it, to help our communities, to find the solutions.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as a teacher, um, when people ask me what I think they should do with schools, um, it kind of falls into that category of there's no great solutions here. Um, you know, I think it's really tough finding the right balance between Getting our kids back so that they can um, learn in person as much as possible and and be connected with each other and with their teachers. Um, But also, we have to balance that with keeping kids safe and keeping school staff safe as well. Um, You know, because if we keep letting the virus spread, it's going to drag on and on. So it's just finding that right balance and the the best solution we can find out of um, a not great situation.
0: Yeah, yeah, I definitely Um, agree. So, so I'd love to talk a bit about Moms Demand Action because you've had a lot of experience and leadership with this great organization. And so can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what was your work like with Moms Demand Action and kind of what are your policy focus on this area where you have a lot of expertise? Sure. Um, well, so I,
1: I got involved with Moms Demand Action about five years ago. Um, before that, I was always interested in politics but not really involved. Um, I always voted but I wasn't active with any local organizations. Um, I didn't even know who my representative was at the state level to be honest. Um, But um, we lived in South Minneapolis for about 10 years and there was quite a bit of gun violence in our neighborhood. Um, And then when my oldest daughter was two and a half we moved out to Lakeville to have a, um, a community that felt safer to us. And even though Lakeville um, doesn't really experience a lot of gun violence, um, we do have suicides in Lakeville, but um, you know, it's, it's the street violence and things like that that I was concerned about in my neighborhood. Um, but I found that gun violence still affected my children. There was one day when my oldest daughter was five and my younger daughter was three, and I saw them playing school with their stuffed animals and they had them all, all the animals arranged in a circle they were playing teacher in circle time. And then all of a sudden they shoved all their stuffed animals into the corner and they were sitting in front of them silently. And I asked what they were doing and they said there's a bad guy. And they were acting out a shooter going from classroom to classroom. And they were protecting their stuffed animals. And my younger daughter looked at her little stuffed dog in the back corner and she said, Percy is the safest. And my older daughter said, it doesn't matter if one of us is safe. It matters if all of us are safe. And that just stuck with me and broke my heart as a mother um, because I think kids should be able to feel safe at school. They were in kindergarten and preschool at the time. So um, I looked into it and found Moms Demand Action. I was really super nervous to go to my first meeting, but um, I soon found that it felt really, really empowering to be able to take action Um, I don't like just feeling frustrated or scared. I like to go do something. Mm -hmm. So um, after a few months, I became the South Metro group leader. And then from that went on to become a statewide leader um, with public education. And I I traveled around the state talking with people about federal and state gun laws Mm -hmm. and ways we can improve the system. Um, But then also as a teacher, I teach in Lakeville. And during my first week of new teacher training, we had to do an active shooter training at one of the high schools and uh, one of the police officers um, pretended to be an active shooter and ran down the halls screaming firing off blanks from an ar-15 and a rifle and that was so teachers could understand what gunshots sounded like inside a school and then we were trained to make a decision based on where the gunshots were coming from and how far away they were if we were to run, hide, or fight. And I remember um, during that training, thinking about the lawmakers sitting comfortably in their offices at the Capitol, telling me that there's nothing we could do. It was a slippery slope, all these NRA talking points.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And this is all while teachers are being trained to go into what felt like a a war zone.
0: Imagine it it's point. just traumatic to get that training at all. Mm-hmm. It sounds scary. Yeah,
1: because even though I knew it was blanks and I knew it was coming, um, part of the training was they tried to catch us off guard when the shoots mm-hmm. when the, the shots were fired, and then um, we had to run and hide. It was close to where I was, and I mean, you're just crouched down behind a desk, hearing someone screaming and shooting down the hallway. It it affects you physically. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. It was scary. Um, and I've seen that, you know, we have to do shelter in place drills with our students in the elementary school. Um, and we have to do flea drills with them where we run out of the school as fast as we can and hide behind trees. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it traumatize my students. Okay. Where there was a hammer one time. They're doing work in the hallway at school, and this little third grader said, What's that? A gunshot? Oh. It's, it's and it's another broken. little yeah. And another little boy went to the bathroom in my class and came back and then he said, wait, what should I do if there's a shooter when I'm in the bathroom? Should I stop and wash my hands first? Oh. And I had to talk him through, no, just get out as fast as you can. Do what you need to do to get out of there. Um, it's just not something we should have to be training our children to do.
0: No. And there are clear answers that make total sense and are completely reasonable and constitutional. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was very interesting um, when we were having a conversation earlier that Moms Demand Action has more, you know, people engaged and more money in the legislative process and advocacy than the NRA. So mm-hmm. it makes me feel hopeful that we can actually pass some gun- common sense gun violence prevention measures.
1: Yeah, when I started, um, we were kind of just this small organization, like- taking down Goliath of the NRA um, that we thought was unstoppable. And in the five years I've been with them, um, we have now more members than the NRA. We have more than 6 million members and supporters in Moms Demand Action across the country. And um, the NRA is struggling. They are in financial trouble, um, legal trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, And Moms Demand Action is just um, this really amazing grassroots organization of people who aren't doing this for money or, or fame or anything. It's just about keeping our kids safe. And we're, we're motivated by that mama bear instinct.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so the, the answer is that moms should be in leadership roles because we know it's what and we get stuff done. So. Mm-hmm,
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah and it's, yeah. we're motivated by just, you know, making things better for our kids and um, just children in general, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it really gives me a lot of optimism even as you know the stories you're telling are really scary and and i definitely like I, I feel trauma that my children are having to go through these types of drills at school but um but i feel like as a mother i'm going to go into the legislature we are going into the legislature with compassion and drive around this issue sure. to really look at ways that we can can make a difference so that our children and our teachers don't have to live in a state of fear and don't have to plan for this worst case scenario.
1: Yeah, and I think the thing that always still has shocked me so much is that um, it, for some reason the issue is seen as controversial, but it's really not. When we look at polling data, um, the vast majority of Minnesotans and Americans support background checks on gun mm-hmm. sales. It's about 91 to 97% in different polls. Um, so to me, you know, why wouldn't you pass a law that your constituents want, um, that we know keeps people safer and saves lives, um, and just, is good policy. So um, it, it would definitely be one of my top
0: priorities when I get into the legislature. Excellent, same here. So let's get it done. Yeah, we can work together on that. Perfect. So, I'd love to talk about a really important issue um, here in minnesota and and you know across the country, and that is police reform. Um, you know, after the murder of George Floyd, we had a national reckoning, and there's been more of a focus, not just within, you know, the Black community, but across the country on on how we can, you know, address uh, the racial inequities in our policing systems and in our, our criminal legal system. And mm-hmm. so I would love to know kind of what are your thoughts, what are your priorities uh, around police reform?
1: Um, that's a really good question. I've been getting a lot of questions about that on the phone when I'm talking with voters. Um, And the first thing I want to say is I'm I'm not for abolishing the police or defunding the police. Um, I think there's a definite important role that law enforcement plays in society, but I also think that we're asking them to do too much.
0: Mm I agree.
1: Um, And I I actually sat down with the police chief of Lakeville probably about a month ago now, um, and we had a really good productive conversation. And he said when he became chief in Lakeville about six or seven years ago, they actually went ahead and um, implemented the reforms that we're talking about now, the eight can't wait. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been really really successful in Lakeville. He said we, our department hasn't had a race-based complaint since they implemented. Um, so both the chief and I would like to see those um, go to the statewide basis and you know, hopefully someday to a national basis. Because um, it's it's just c- good common sense reforms that will make um, police officers be able to respond better and more appropriately to different situations. Um, but I also think we need to look at having some other people come in in situations that are nonviolent calls. Um, so things like maybe we need an addiction specialist to come into um, calls where someone's using drugs, or um, a social worker come in for domestic violence situations, things like that. Um, we don't always need to have the police called for um, every situation. They've kind of become our catch-all for any problem we see, we call the police. Um, and even they have told me that they're not well-trained for mental health
0: mm-hmm.
1: situations. Um, so yeah. I think you know, maybe just looking at a little more critically who we're calling in when we yeah. have problems we need solved.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, we we can support law enforcement, but their role should be primarily dealing with violent crimes. Mm -hmm. And so when we can have someone else come in when it is like addiction, mental health issues, there is no need to escalate a situation like that. And people are trained and have expertise in how to de-escalate those Mm -hmm. situations and to truly help those people and meet their needs.
1: Exactly. And I think, too, looking at, you know, the broader um, situation here with some of the The other things that we could do to prevent crime um, is, you know, looking at the root causes of poverty and um, how we educate our kids and housing stability and and all those deeper issues that we look at, addiction, um, you know, and and think about how we can prevent people from getting to the point where um, law enforcement or or other officers are called into, Um, you know, just taking a a broader look at our whole system yes trying to improve it there yes a broader level
0: i so so agree sorry i keep interrupting you but i'm like no that's okay (laughs) um yeah i I so agree like the police reform is a manifestation of a much larger societal ill that we need to address Mm -hmm. in every aspect of our society like you said housing schooling Mm -hmm. everything Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, this is extremely important. And you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that a tragedy led us to have this conversation, but I am truly gratified and inspired by how much energy there is right now to address these issues.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually was um, out for dinner in Minneapolis last night, and we were close to the George Floyd Memorial. And so we went down to see it. Um, and It's changed so much from the first weekend when I was there in May. Um, It's it's beautiful, um, and you can tell that it still holds um, so much power in that area. Um, The beautiful artwork that people have done, and sculptures, and paintings, and um, notes that are written, um, and it's just it's a really powerful place to be. um, Very moving, and I think it just speaks to this issue that had been kind of bottled up for so long and now finally we're at this this point where we have to take this moment like we can't just let it pass by like so many times before um, when black and brown people have been killed and we just kind of deal with the crisis and then move on but I, I really think we need to take this moment and make some big structural changes.
0: Yes, and, and just as a parent, I have been really gratified to see how much focus there's been on raising children to be anti-racist and looking at just what role do we have as individual people in the community and as parents to you know, bring these issues to the attention of our children who may not be directly impacted or don't understand how they are impacted and to really bring them into the conversation. And that's something that mm-hmm. we've been trying to do in our household. Yeah. And I've seen, um,
1: I teach English as a second language. So most of my students are students of color. And even, you know, long before, um, this happened, a lot of my students would bring up race Mm -hmm. very often. Um, and I think reason, you know, I've only experienced life as a, a white woman. My kids are white girls. Um, and so for us race isn't something that affects us. Um, on a daily basis, in a way that we can see it. Um, We definitely benefit from, from the years of white privilege, but um, it's not something that my family or I thought about on a daily basis, but for kids of color, it does affect their daily lives, and they don't have the option of not thinking about it or not talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of the things I struggled with as a mom when it was all over the news is how much do I expose my kids to and how much do I talk about this with them? But then I thought that's kind of the epitome of white privilege, right yes. deciding when and how they'll be introduced to race. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. The students
1: of color don't have that option. They have to talk about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, in our household, since my husband works for the ACLU of Minnesota, you know it's been all consuming on, on mm-hmm. all fronts and so we we really did work hard to bring our children into the conversation. Uh, and I, I my daughter has somehow like been seeing the, the way I think and she she's eight and she's been coming up with all of these like anti-poverty measures lately. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, she had this idea, she came down, like I was exercising in the morning and she came down, like she'd just woken up and she was like, I have this idea where like you give everyone a penny and then you have this whole area where everything costs a penny and people can get Aww. really nice shoes and really nice clothes and really good food. And I, re- I loved her idea because it was acknowledging like everybody has a right to a like a rich, wonderful life full of good things. And, mm-hmm. and I like that she was like, you know, poor people, you know, everyone deserves to have nice things and a nice life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, it really is inspiring to me just as a mom. I'm like, yes, <laughs> I'm
1: raising that's so her. amazing. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're thinking about it and, and talking about it and coming up with their own ideas. And I think that's, that gives me a lot of hope for the future.
0: Yeah, me too. Yeah. So let's talk about taxes. Um, I, I had, uh, I was out in the park the other day, um, wearing a mask and socially distant, uh, asking people if they'd like flyers. And I had a conversation with a gentleman who was conservative and wow. he, he asked me, he's like, are you in favor of taxes? And I said, well, I'm a Democrat. So, you know, DFL, we tend to be, you know, understand about strategic investment and he's like, no pro or anti-taxes. And I was like, pro. And he's like, then there's nothing to talk about. Oh, <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, but I just, you know, I just think a lot about taxes and how do we fund our values Um, Senator Carolyn Lane, who is retiring in my district, uh, she told me, she said, our budget is a moral document and we fund our values. And I just, I want to like go flack with that. I'm just like, yes, like we fund our values and we find ways Mm -hmm. to fund the things that are the most important to our state and our community. And so Mm -hmm. I would love to know, you know, what does tax fairness mean to you?
1: I just want to point out that what you said about man at the park being against taxes is a little bit ironic because if he was at a city park, um, that was funded by taxpayer dollars. He probably used a road or a path to get there that was also funded by taxpayer dollars.
0: Yes. Um,
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, it's easy to say, I don't want to pay taxes, but, um, you know, we certainly want roads and safe bridges and parks and, um schools so you know i it's it's something that we all contribute to to make make us have um better lives but also just to to get through the necessities of you know driving to work have to have roads to do that um but in in lakeville in particular um we've had a lot of local tax levies for our school district and i know that's happening throughout the state too um and that's because Our federal and state governments are not funding public education the way they're supposed to, the way that they promised to do. Um, So there's all these mandates that come down from the legislature, and they're not funded. And so what we have to do as a school district is take money out of our general fund to pay for unfunded mandates. Mm -hmm. And in Lakeville alone, that's twelve and a half million dollars every single school year that we're pulling out of the general fund to put towards these unfunded mandates. And I don't think that's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, we've been passing our last few levies um, in Lakeville, which is it's great, but I don't think we can keep relying on taxpayers to keep voting to raise their own property taxes. And I also don't really think it's fair. Um, I think that's something that should be funded at the state level. And it's also an issue of equity and, you know, quite frankly, racial justice that Neighborhoods with um, lower property values, and they can't afford to pass these levies and referendums, they are going to have lower quality schools and lower quality education. And that's less access to technology of higher class sizes, fewer student support workers like counselors and social workers and psychologists. Um, All the things that we say are important to get people out of poverty. We're not allowing them to, to have those resources because of the way we fund schools. So um, I would like to see it better funded at the state level so that we don't have these um, tax tax levies, but also just the huge inequities. I don't think your opportunities should be defined by your zip code. I think everyone should have an equal opportunity to to be educated well and, and to reach the highest potential.
0: Yes, I hundred and fifty percent agree. Uh, I always think of education funding as it needs to be generous, it needs to be consistent, and it needs to be equitable. So like mm-hmm. you said, like your zip code should not affect all of the, the, your potential, you know, to achieve. And, mm-hmm. and that means that we absolutely can't rely on local communities to pass these extremely burdensome levies. And mm-hmm. just within my Senate district. Uh, you know, there's very different capacities to afford those levies. And, and that's yeah. just not right. The state needs mm-hmm. to, to, um, to fund our schools uh, mm-hmm. in a fair and equitable way and in a generous way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a parent, I've got two kids in the public schools and funding our schools is one of the main inspirations for me uh, to have run for office Uh, I just, um, know that, you know, every, like it's an investment, like as a small Mm -hmm. business owner, I just think, you know, it's not just my, my opponent likes to talk about wasteful spending. And I'm like, there's a difference between wasteful spending and strategic investment. And we yes. know that investment in our kids is the most important thing we can do for the future of our state. And so we can mm-hmm. think of it as workforce development, economic development, and that is in the interest of every single person in this community, whether you're a parent or not. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's about investing in our future.
1: Yeah, and there's been so many studies showing that if we invest in early childhood education, it saves us money down, down the road. But, so To me, that's um, it's not only the right thing to do, but it's also a, a financially sound thing to do. Um, we're gonna invest now and save money down the road. So I think um, it just pays off in so many different ways that I think it's a, it's a really good place to invest in our yes. kids.
0: Yes. Uh, I I used to volunteer with the YWCA Public Policy Committee, and our whole thing was early childhood education. And we would always quote Art Rolnick, the former chair of the Federal Reserve in Minnesota. He would say, for every dollar you invest in early childhood education, it's a $17 return. That's incredible. I know. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. Talk about return on investment. Uh, Everybody likes that. Republicans like that. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, it, it just makes sense. And we mm-hmm. want to, you know, if, if you truly want an equitable state and equitable outcomes um, and a state that can thrive, it means that we invest. And that's why Minnesota is mm-hmm. doing so well, is we invest. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, personally, if there was something I could invest in, a stock that um, I could pay $1 and know I would get $17 back, I think that's a great investment.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so um so we are both the moms of eight and ten year olds so we have that in common and so i know that for my family um so i started running in january so gosh it's already been so much of this last year uh, basically this whole year and it's definitely upended our whole family life life our home life um in addition to the pandemic and so um, I was just curious kind of how it's been for your kids and what their favorite part of this process has been and kind of how it's influenced the way they see the world.
1: Um, well, it was, that was one of the things that I struggled with in deciding whether or not to run for office. Um, you know, my, my kids are obviously the most important thing to me, so um, I really wanted to make sure that um, it would be okay with them and it, it would be something they would feel bit about Um, and I think just as women that's why a lot of younger women don't run for office um and that was the first thing so many people ask me about when I said I was going to run is what about your kids your kids need you and that is something that um I've talked to plenty of men who have run for office and they've said they've never been asked that question which is just kind of an interesting mindset that it still is um how can you run for office when you have kids? Mm-hmm. Um, but when the new year happened in um, 2020, I asked my kids what they were most excited for for the new year, and they both said that it was me running for office.
0: Wow. Yeah. Great. So that made me They're feel really
1: bad. excited. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, they absolutely did not want to door knock. My younger daughter said she'd rather get 10,000 flu shots than door knock with me. <laughs> So that was a pretty firm no. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, you know, the idea that um, I'm trying to make a change and make things better. I think they're very excited about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think it's a really good example. Like I've never questioned my, my whole philosophy of parenthood or motherhood is just to not feel guilty so I don't feel yeah. guilty if I choose my children over work and I don't feel guilty if I choose my work over my children mm-hmm. I just I'm like no guilt and yeah. um, and I do really feel like the example that we set for our children when we are ambitious and like we have big big dreams for what we can achieve is a great example and Mm -hmm. like you have two daughters I have a son and a daughter but I just feel like especially the example I'm setting for my daughter I feel like is critically important.
1: Mm -hmm. I think so too and this combination of being a woman but also in Minnesota we have the Minnesota nice thing going on so sometimes it's really hard to um, feel like it's okay to your opinion or to you know push back on something you don't agree with um so yeah I'm, I'm hoping that i'm setting an example of how to advocate for yourself and advocate for values that you care about um in a way that's positive and, and creating change mm-hmm.
0: yeah i would say so so i like to end my podcast by asking people what they're reading so what are you reading right now
1: um so i am reading this and I wish it was something non-campaign related, but I'm just in that zone right now. Um, it's a book called Don't Think of an Elephant by George Lakoff, And it's so interesting. Oh my gosh, you'll, you'll have to check it out after this. Um, so it's, he's a linguist, but he looks at language from a political sp- perspective. And he's saying that um, liberals and conservatives tend to look at the world through two different, completely, completely different frameworks. Um, and everything that we value is seen through those different frameworks. So it's, it's done a lot to help me understand um, different viewpoints, which I think is really important because um, as lawmakers and policymakers, we have to be able to understand where people are coming from and um, kind of where our values are the same and where they're different and, and how to bring those ideas together. But yeah, it's a fascinating book. I'm about halfway through. So um, it's, it's been really interesting to read.
0: Awesome. I will definitely check it out. Um, I've had some interesting, I, w- I would say like I really enjoy the conversation I've had with people that don't agree with me completely. Mm-hmm. And I'd always try to end those conversations by saying, you know, if I'm elected, I will be your representative also. And I will want to hear from you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important that you can sit down and have a conversation with people um sometimes on the phone someone will say oh well i'm a republican you don't want to talk to me and I said no i do want to talk to you i want to you know understand what's important to you and why it's important and and then we can come up with a solution that that fits for everybody i think that's Mm -hmm. probably the most um maybe the most difficult part of the job but also the most interesting
0: and rewarding
1: when you Mm -hmm. can build those bridges with people
0: yeah and i mean at the state house level like we represent a small enough group of people that we should be able to connect with all of the people in the district in Mm -hmm. a real meaningful way.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the whole job, right? Of a representative, you should be able to represent the people that that you live with and your neighbors. So yeah, I think it's important that they feel they can reach out and talk with you and, and have a constructive conversation.
0: Um, the book that I've been reading uh is Option B, or is it Plan B? No, I can't remember. Look, oh, Option B by Cheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant, who's an organizational psychologist. And oh, so interesting. I'm, yeah, I'm I'm reading it for my book club. So it's kind of about dealing with grief and trauma. And I have been very fortunate in my life that I've had plenty of struggles, but nothing dramatically traumatic. But I do feel mm. like it will hopefully make me a more empathetic person to people who are going through difficult things in their life Mm -hmm. so in a similar way uh, i hope it'll make me a a better person and a more open person and kind of the kind of person who can reach out to people and be a good listener Mm -hmm. i'm a talker so i i have to work on my listening skills too
1: (laughs) yeah i think that's it's good to read books and have conversations with people who've had different life experiences and and different perspectives so yeah, and we're both reading kind of nerdy books, then, aren't we?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, novels. I'm reading. <laughs> I'm reading some really nerdy books that I didn't mention. I'm reading the prequels, to <laughs> The Hunger Games, which oh. is great. And oh, and then I'm reading I'll this read that book one called The Race by this English science fiction author. Um, I'm not far enough along to characterize it, but it's very like literary and definitely oh, written, and it's very English. It's like oh. futurist and weird, but also like super English. Uh, like it's very interesting. So. Oh, that- that sounds good too. I have my like my pulpy <laughs> stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to chat today. Um, you know, I've gotten to know you just as, you know, us both being candidates, and I was really excited when you accepted this invitation to be interviewed. I feel like we have so much in common, and I'm really excited by your candidacy. I think there should be more teachers in office, um, more mothers in office, as many mm-hmm. as possible. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm really excited for your campaign. So thank you oh, so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was great talking with you. Our music by Pierce Murphy is licensed by Creative Commons. And our technical director is Nathan West. Thank you so much for listening.